Hi everyone, I'm Les. And I'm Ashley. And you're listening to Anthropotamus, where we explore some of your favorite anthropology topics. Hi everyone, welcome to our first episode of 2024 of Anthropotamus. Anthropotamus, we're switching it up this year. We're going to go ahead and do the book discussion on the 1st and do our interviews on the 15th. Just a heads up. In this episode, we are discussing Intelligence in Nature by Jeremy Narby. Um, I mean, I have a couple things to say about the book, but um, I found it pretty interesting. But Les, I'm going to let you go ahead and start us off. Okay. Uh, yeah, so the book Intelligence in Nature, um, at, at the beginning of the book, when I first started reading it, it was... Very interesting, and as a matter of fact, when so when I was listening to it, I was like, okay, so this seems like something that I might be interested in, and then it sort of slowly frays and kind of splinters into these. This, I you know, the only way I can really describe it is it was a lecture on using ayahuasca to better understand a culture that he's studying. It's a problem that he is taking the things that he learned that he and I'm using air quotes here learned while using it and presenting them as fact uh, without um, any supporting evidence or uh, nothing that's really lifting up his argument. Having said that throughout the book, he is insistent that he is not a scientist. Yes. And I had some issue with the way he worded that. Maybe as a cultural anthropologist, you may not see yourself as a scientist. But really, anthropology is a combination of hard sciences and, you know, humanities. We're using science to help explain human life and culture and behavior. I mean, you know, as someone who studied biological anthropologist I would never say I'm an anthropologist so I'm not a scientist I mean I incorporated isotope analysis and statistics and child development into my thesis am I to say oh I'm just an anthropologist I'm not a scientist I mean how many archaeologists do we know that studies chemistry or studies geology (laughs) no (laughs) but I mean I guess I would say that, no, he, he's probably right. He is not a scientist, but it's not because he's an anthropologist. I, I think that he's just, and it, it looks like he uh, he did a lot of his um, initial research and other things like that during the 60s. So um, The 60s? Did no. I read that wrong? He's Or is it the 80s? Maybe the 80s. He's not that old. So he was born in 1960, so he wouldn't have started studying that early. You're right. So probably the 70s and the 80s. Maybe the 80s, yeah. A lot of um, these. Uh... But I mean, when he said that, I'm thinking, okay, maybe if you know you mainly focus on ethnographic studies, but you're still going to have a structured research approach to that. And then I'm thinking, if you're studying human behavior, then wouldn't you take into consider, like, let's say, psychology? Um, which is a science. So, uh, yeah, like he commented, you know, I'm just, I'm an anthropologist, not a scientist. You know, I, you know, study interpretation. 
okay. <laughs> like... So so let's dig into that a little bit. Um, because of all the comments that he made regarding that on during this book and um, the fact that he brought up his previous book that um, that he published called The Cosmic Certain. I just like to mention that it seems like we're focusing a lot on him saying he's not a scientist. But part of the reason we're focusing so much on this is because he says it multiple times throughout the book. And it's not just that, but he's presenting all of his um, his findings, again with air quotes, um, as anthropological fact. And he, like, he, he presents them as dead certain fact. Time and time and time again. While stating that he is not a scientist and is not, you know using scientific methods or data to collect these and other things like that. And like, what exactly is this book then? What exactly are you trying to, to do here? Uh, because it, it's, it's pretty clear that you're, you want to distance yourself from the academic community. And I understand why you might want to do that. I can, I, I've read a lot of different accounts from people who said that the academic community is, is very, uh, I don't want to say toxic, but... Uh... It's political, I guess you could say. There's reasons mm-hmm. why people avoid, you know, academic careers. I've even been given advice from, from professors before to stay away from academics at least for a while once, you know, once I start in the field. And I'm like, I understand. Yeah, I get it. But, so, I'm sorry. Let me let me just backtrack a little bit. So, the reason I brought up his other book is because um, I started reading it after I finished this one just to kind of help clarify some of the points he was making. Um, I, he, he described his, uh, his training as post-structural anthropology, which, and maybe I just haven't heard the phrase that way, but it, it sounds like he means post-processual. Does that? I don't know what post-structural means. I've never heard of it before. I I've heard of post-processual, and as I understand it, it's a lot more feelings-based. I'm probably being a bit reductive there, but it's not. Um, it's not as rooted in processes in I science. Mean, you know, did did you Google it by way. chance? Maybe we could I, just. I did, but I couldn't find as much on it as uh as i wanted to okay um po- okay post-structuralism expresses the belief that individual meaning and values are taken from their i don't know how to pronounce this word milieu m-i-l-i-e-u milieu <laughs> and the common meanings of a group of individuals so that their reality is contextualized and socially constructed constructed and mediated by language and discourse i i it sounds like they're just trying to make it a, a much more worthy version of your reality around you is constructed from the people and places that you live yes. in and around. Yes. Yeah. Your experiences and the environment you live in construct your perspective, I guess. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it's... So, so my point in bringing this up is that, yes, he has a PhD, and no, I do not have a PhD, <laughs> um, but based on his uh, methodology, his discrediting his own work and his, the, the lack of 
um, credibility that he's shown in his, um, you know, he's been shown by the scientific community. Uh, I wouldn't take this, either of his books for that matter, as gospel or anything that you should be placing as fact the way he presents it. Um, just take it with a grain of salt is what I'm getting at. I mean, I, I, I don't, I, you know, I didn't completely disagree with what he was saying. Neither I did I. I think it was the way he presented it is what, what I had the issue with. You know, I'm going to be honest. The, uh, the Intelligence in Nature book was a lot more palatable than his uh, Cosmic Serpents book. I, I'm still, I'm only about halfway through Cosmic Serpents, but uh, about 20 minutes into listening and going through the different um, points he's making, I'm he's immediately got my my back up, and I'm like, no, this is this is ridiculous. What are you What are you even talking about? Um, I have no idea because I haven't started reading that book. I, I understand. <laughs> I, I'm just going to be honest right now. I wouldn't even recommend it. I'm going to finish it because I'm a completionist, I guess. But um, yeah, no, it's and some of it, like like you said, I don't disagree with everything he's saying. Some of it makes sense, and there's a lot to be gained from looking at it from other perspectives. But gosh, it. It's like, again, just like you said, the way he's presenting the info is just. And one of the, one of the issues I had, right, he discusses intelligence and, you know, like bees and plants and whatever else. Like, I completely agree. I think that we, uh, I think human beings think we are the greatest thing on earth and we think that you know, other animals can't be as intelligent as us or, you know, or just can't have intelligent thoughts or be flexible in their way of thinking, however you want to put it. Um, and when he brings up, you know, indigenous people and what they observe and how Western, you know, academics tend to ignore these observations of indigenous populations, you know, science begins with observation. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I think that, you know, viewing the indigenous perspective can open up new doors and provide answers, um, that we haven't thought of before. But what bothered me was he, he, you know, I think he was in Peru and he discusses, you know, his experience with people in Peru. But then when he goes to visit all these different like biologists or all these different scientists, with the exception of Japan, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like all the other scientists were like European scientists or Western yeah. scholars. And I'm like thinking, what? while you were in Peru, were there no Peruvian, is it Peruvian? Peruvian from... sounds right. But yeah, uh, sure. I, could be, I could be totally wrong. I had a public American education, whatever. But um, um you know, were there no Peruvian, you know, biologists he could have spoken to who are more familiar with indigenous, you know, perspective? Or, you know, we read, um, we had read uh, Braiding Sweetgrass, and I can't remember the author off the top of my head right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she's an indigenous person in North America who wants to, you know, 
you know, was she a botanist who used her indigenous perspective to explain nature? You know, why not find those scientists? I'm like, why keep going back to European or Western scholars? If you're trying to, you know, involve indigenous perspective. Yeah, it seemed disingenuous. Well, okay, so I'm just going to boil it down to what I saw. It seems like after he used ayahuasca, he says it himself, it changed the way he viewed the world. And I've heard that about a lot of different psychedelic drugs. I have never <laughs> used any myself, so I can't speak from experience or anything like that. But uh, I've heard it from a lot of different sources. Once you use it, it changes the way you view the world. Now, add to that the, the fact that he dedicated a large portion of his study to the use of ayahuasca, and it seems to even be advocating for its use. Um, it, he, he ends up sounding a lot like a conspiracy theorist. He seems more like he's justifying the use of ayahuasca than actually doing any valid scientific or medical study. I, I felt like he was just trying to use other, it, like he was trying to use other scientists to speak for himself because he does not see himself as a scientist. Yeah, and you know, he, he's trying to play the best of both worlds here, it seems like. He doesn't want to call himself a scientist, but he wants everybody to believe his uh, his point of view. And, and you know... He even says it in Intelligence in Nature. A lot of scientists around the world who have read his work have criticized the fact that he doesn't have anything that is testable to support his hypothesis or anything like that that, that he can use to uh, support his work. And he, he seems to try and discount that by saying, well, I'm not a scientist, so I don't need this. He's, he's using it as a shield. Yeah, I can see that, yeah. On a more positive note, I, I think that the scientific research he does present really does help you kind of think outside of, you know, what does it mean to be intelligent? And um, to look at the, you know, the... I guess, mental capabilities of other animals, or even when he discusses, you know, he goes to Japan and he discusses, was it the, the slime in Japan, the one cell slime? Yeah. And how even, you know, the flexibility it has in, in order to survive and, you know, get food. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting research to use and to, you know, prove the point that, hey, you know, these animals aren't just mindless organisms looking for food and then die. You know, they have the capability to to organize and to uh, think in the future in order to survive or however you want to word that. Yeah. So uh, now that I've, I've had my fill of bashing him, <laughs> let me just say that I do think there is a lot of validity the argument that there is more intelligence in nature than most people give it credit for in general we have such a human-centric view that we don't really count the perspectives of other life forms as valid so okay 
he brings up the he brings up um, birds in particular, and and we can talk about uh, ravens and crows uh, in particular because they he he mentions they are seen as being some of the more intelligent birds that are out there, while the phrase bird brain is used to describe somebody who is unintelligent or has a small brain, right? So, and when you start looking at the habits and the observable behaviors of some of these animals, it's it's pretty evident that they, they can be extremely intelligent and they can form uh, social bonds. They can, they can remember things from the past, abstract thought. There's a lot more intelligence in wild animals than than humans give them credit for as a whole mm-hmm. what i think he he skips over is that if you look into a more scientific based community and, and start looking at the research that's done on the animals a lot of that information is being credited it's just not something that most people consider one thing i wish he had brought up he kept talking about brain size, brain size. And, you know, in anthropology, when we look at our hominid ancestors, we're always focused on brain size because we don't have the brain, right? We just have the cranium or skull. And we're estimating, based off that, we're estimating brain size and we're assuming the bigger the brain, then the more intelligent we became. But what he didn't bring up was uh, a brain's wrinkled surface. And the brain wrinkled surface can actually... Um, be an indicator of cognitive function, right? I just Googled it too. It actually says, when you Google it, uh, wrinkled surface is generally an indicator of higher cognitive function, but too much folding can produce the opposite effect. So, I mean, I think that's something that could have been played instead of constantly focusing on brain size. Well, okay, well, what about, you know, brain surface and how wrinkly it is or lack there of wrinkles i think it was like a koala's brain if you look at the koala's brain it looks like a chicken breast or something i don't know something weird like that but i think that's something to also consider instead of just brain size brain size brain size because he discusses like oh a bird's brain is so small but then i was thinking well how wrinkly is the brain though Mm-hmm. yeah uh I'm trying to think of anything else intelligent to say about this book. (laughs) And all I can think about is is more things to bash. I really just wish, well, first of all, I wish you would have stopped saying that anthropologists are not scientists. You might not consider yourself a scientist, but a good portion of anthropologists do think themselves a scientist, especially when you're going into archaeology and bioanthropology. Um, And I think... I, I think when he keeps saying that, it devalues his work. Like, you put all this work into gathering these researchers. Granted, I wish you had used more indigenous biologists, but it was still good research that you looked into, but then you devalue yourself by saying, I'm not a scientist. It, it's like we, we said before, he's using the I'm not a scientist as a shield to deflect criticism. But it's causing criticism. <laughs> but it's causing criticism. He's like, well, this shouldn't be, it shouldn't apply to me because X, Y, Z, but you're making claims that are, that are based on your observations and presenting them as fact while being on some extremely powerful psychedelic drugs. So I'm just going to, you know, I mean, I said, take it with a grain of salt, but there's like a whole fistful of salt that you need to take this with. Yeah. 
well so so he brings up um the the part about what was it um animals as machines oh how biologists or scientists once thought animals as machines but now research has shown that uh they have greater cognitive ability than humans once thought mm-hmm. I, and just i mean i i thought that was self-evident but then again i, I wasn't born back in 19 19- 59 so um maybe i've benefited from more current research than he had yeah i'm i'm sure you have honestly i I mean think about how we think of animals compared to maybe someone who's 70 thinks of animals um but yeah i didn't like the idea of them with how they studied the bee it made me very sad for the bee even if they said that they don't think it feels pain i'm like oh exposing its brain and then you're gonna kill it like ah yeah i mean humans have done a lot worse than study bees that's true i mean Um, just think of all the horrible things we've done to human beings (laughs) yeah yeah we i mean it's it's not excusable to i guess um break your ethics for the sake of science, but it's definitely been done a lot. Mm-hmm. And I I wouldn't honestly say, I, I wouldn't, um, like if I were doing a study on insects or something like that, that caused us to have to kill the insect for some reason or other, I, I guess I would just say, well, okay. So you obviously cannot reintroduce the bee back into the population maybe you could help it establish another um, colony something like that but either way i i wouldn't even try to excuse it so let's say that the only way to do this with uh and and maintain the scientific integrity is to kill the the bee i wouldn't say well it doesn't matter because they can't feel pain I don't know that, and I don't think anybody really does. Is the knowledge that you're gaining worth the cost? Yeah, I would just prefer not to not to cut open the bee's head. Um. Yeah, that is, that's <laughs> that's an ethics question, and we both know how ethics go. Yeah, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people are like, it's just a bee, but me, I'm like, it's still a living creature. Uh. Yeah, no, it is. It is definitely. Um, still important to to consider that i mean it's a living creature but the other end of that point is that um other living creatures on this planet hunt cause pain and eat other creatures as well yeah but that's to survive there's between between you know eat to survive and then you know or kill to survive and then kill to know stuff (laughs) I mean, if you're doing it for fun, that's one thing, but I think it could be argued that this kind of information in the long run could provide knowledge that helps us survive. I'm sure it can. I just felt bad for the bee. I feel bad for the bee, too, but I'll probably forget about the bee. (laughs) I'm that person that does not forget about the bee. (laughs) It made me think about how... Occasionally, this conversation comes up within academia about Western scholars bringing up these supposed new topics when really they're not really new topics as people, scholars in other countries have already been discussing this stuff. But since their research is not in English, we don't know about it. And then Western scholars take it and make it like, oh, look what I discovered when really it was discovered like 10 years ago. 
So it made me yeah. th think of like his avoidance of incorporating indigenous scholars made me think of like, oh, more Western, you know, scholars, Western research being taken and making making it like it's their own and something brand new. In his other book, he talks a lot about how there was a, a deal between pharmaceutical com companies and research um, uh, places that uh, between them and the local governments to identify and use a lot of these medicinal plants that are in the Amazon rainforest and how in the past these um, some of these same plants and, and th you know medicines that were discovered by the uh, the people uh, were brought to their attention and then stolen without them being compensated for any of that mm. so it, it's it's like okay so you want to give them a voice and that's that's good but did but he it, really I think he went poorly he did it he didn't do well trying to do that he could have analyzed his own research more and incorporated other indigenous researchers instead of just, this is my experience. Look at what all these scientists did. Oh, another thing that kind of, I thought weird is like, oh, I was having a discussion with this person and then I realized they were more comfortable speaking in French. So then I switched to French. I'm like, why was that important to note? He just wanted to brag that he, he also speaks French. <laughs> That's what it is. He's like, yeah, I speak French too. I was like, I didn't need to know like that, that but thanks. yeah that, that wasn't relevant it was really and i think he actually brought said that a couple of times speaking to different people how he switched languages i was like okay that doesn't change the information you got from them but yeah <laughs> uh but yeah i mean honestly i i i wouldn't not recommend this book i think it's still you can still learn something from it um, I, I do think he brings up important points and it's not really the information that he's presenting that is bad, but the way in which he presents it and maybe even the way he views anthropology. Yeah, I, I think I, I have to uh, contrast that. I wouldn't recommend this book and I, I say that largely because I think he's doing more harm to his cause than he's in than than he's doing good. Um, I think that you're right. There is something to be learned from it, um, and if you can get past some of the the negatives that he he's got going for him, there's there's a lot to learn from it. But I think somebody who is more who considers them more selves more of a scientist should maybe do some of this research. And maybe I'm sure there's plenty of books out there by indigenous scientists who speak on the same topic who would be better to elaborate on what he's trying to express. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right about that. And maybe that's what something we should be doing is focusing more on indigenous authors. I did like all the examples of all the different research on animals that people are doing because it's, I mean, I'm no zoologist. I would never think about, oh, what, what are people studying? Uh, about yeah. in regards to bees or what do one-celled slime organisms eat or you know like yeah oh that that line where he's like they're the slime mold's favorite food <laughs> was it like oats or something oats. <laughs> <laughs> like oh that was a big reveal uh yeah like that's something i would have never thought about so i i it almost felt like you know when you're bored 
and you're on your computer and you just start ra- ra- googling random animal facts yeah yeah that's it right there he's just yeah so there you have it <laughs> yeah great start um, to 2024 Oh man, hopefully the next book will be more um, positive. Although, I, I don't know, I guess I enjoyed myself while complaining about it. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Um, I don't usually like, audio, you know, doing audiobooks, but you know how I get like really impatient and I just want to get straight to the point? Mm-hmm. And I don't usually like to speed up the audio because I have a hard time listening. People are speaking fast, but this seemed actually like the perfect book to <laughs> speed up because. I was able to get to one point to the next, to the next, to the next quickly without having to feel like, oh God, what are you talking about? Yeah, no, I agree. This was a good book to speed up. I was, I was able to follow. It was easy to follow along, even though it was going quickly. Yeah, and I put it on, I doubled the speed. I, I was listening to it two times for most, for, for about half of it. Oh, About yeah. half of it. Usually when I go to two times the speed, I can't I can't keep up. This one, I was able to keep up. I was like, oh, it was a really easy book to follow. It's not like it was a long book to begin with, so. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so do we want to wrap this up then? <laughs> Let's wrap this up. Uh, all right, guys. You heard it. Some goods and maybe lots of bads about intelligence and nature <laughs> intelligence and nature by jeremy narby um and we look forward to all the great topics we'll be discussing and happy new year everyone happy new year thank you all for listening distribution of anthropotamus is in collaboration with the american anthropological association please continue to follow us on instagram and twitter at anthropotamus for our latest episodes show notes and book discussion schedule